Good morning. Love that we can just stop a song and restart it because we're family together. Uh, That's good stuff. Uh, Today we are uh, continuing in the book of John in our series, Hope in a New Season. And uh, I shared at the beginning of this series that uh, some of our new seasons in life as far as in our home and uh, Ben was able to come home, our, our son, from college for the first time on Thursday, and, and it was nice. It was odd uh, to have him back in the home and uh, to walk through the door or to, to come out of his room, and, and yet it was natural at the same time, but it, it was just different than things that we'd experienced. And uh, so Thursday, he's, he's home, and, and Brooklyn's back from cheerleading practice. We're able to eat, and, and so he's in the other room because while he's home, he's like, yeah, I, I've come home, and I've only got 25 hours of homework to do this weekend. So that's kind of nice. They're on their mid-semester break. And so Ben's in the other room doing homework, and, and Brooklyn and I are watching TV, and it was just like, huh, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, this feels different than it has for the last few months, and yet it was nice and it was refreshing to be back together as a family. And, and kind of that's what we do each and every week, that uh, we, we kind of have our own things that are going during the week, and yet we get to come back together on Sunday mornings, and, and there's just something about it that's, ha. Huh. It's nice to be together, and that we don't have to be perfect, that we don't have to have all of our stuff together, that we can come here and relate to each other just in normal, everyday life things. And uh, as we get back into the book of John, uh, we talked about how the Holy Spirit, Mike, last week comes into our lives in the everyday things, that he is an ever-present, uh, uh, ever-present with us in our lives and revealing things to us and teaching us and comforting us. Mike talked about how he convicts uh, the unbeliever about their sin, that that's his job. To, to dig into people's lives and, and to draw them back to himself, back to the Father. And he talked about how he's there to remind us that it isn't how good we are, but how good Jesus is. That it is through his righteousness that we have a connection with the Father. And, and, and ultimately that Satan has been defeated already. And while there's still battles, the war has been won. The Holy Spirit is with us each day guiding us and teaching us. And it's on the tail of these words that we pick it up in John chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, It's a little confusing. We'll jump into it here. He starts with this, Jesus speaking. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again in a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. And and so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, Is this what you were asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Can you see kind of the family dynamic even that's happening here, that these guys are used to being with each other, that it isn't just Jesus all the time lecturing and standing up over them. This seems to be over the course of an evening or or time because he, he says this thing to them, and then the disciples have time to interact with each other. What the heck is he talking about? 
Like they're leaning over. What is he saying? A little while he's saying this, he's going to be gone, but then he's here, but then he's going to the Father, but he's here with us. And what is he saying? So Jesus uh, has time in between these things that he's teaching his disciples and they're talking with one another, but he knows. He's like, I I know you're confused. I know that you're asking what I'm talking about. And and what Jesus is saying is, is, uh, in a little while, I'm not going to be with you. In a little while, then I will be with you. See how confusing it is? Like, I don't know what he's talking about. People, 2,000 years later, we still don't know exactly what he was saying. Is he talking about dying on the cross and then he'll be back in a few days? Is he talking about going up to heaven because he said he's going to the Father and then in the end times he's going to return? What is this time segment of a little while that you are talking about? And the truth is, we don't totally know. But it really kind of makes sense in this context that what he's saying is, you know, I'm going to be gone. In a few hours, I'm going to be gone. I've been telling you this for weeks and for months I've been trying to prepare you. This isn't the first time. He mentioned it in chapter 14. And even when they talk about, he said he's going to the Father, they're referring to a previous conversation that they'd had. And so he's trying to prepare them for this. But Jesus is saying the time is coming quickly. You know, at one point in time, and still even in this very moment, it is theoretical that it's going to happen, that this isn't something that's taken place yet, but soon and very soon it's going to be, and you're going to be alone. But calm down, I'm coming back to you. It was moving from theoretical to actual. You're about to be in this moment. The things that I've been teaching you, the rubber's about to hit the road. You're going to need the things that I've been sharing with you. Yesterday we're driving, oh no, it's Friday, we were driving to Roseburg, uh, to visit a friend who's in the hospital, and, and I called my mom. She's preparing to come out for Christmas or Thanksgiving, and we're just talking about dates, and, and, uh, and she's, she's saying to me, you know, I, I don't really mind if it's Thanksgiving. It's kind of nice to be there when the kids are in school and, and when you go to work because I get to see your everyday life and I get to be a part of things that way. It doesn't just have to be on vacation because even during vacation with Ben working and other things, it can be just as busy at those times. And, and what I said to her was, I understand now more than I ever did. It was theoretical. I knew Ben was leaving. I've kind of known this for the last 18 and a half years. I knew he was leaving theoretically, but I didn't quite understand what it was like. But now on Thursday night, the night before I'm talking to my mom, and I'm in the living room, and he's sitting in the dining room doing homework, I understood it differently. It's actual. This is the life that I have, and I understand that it's okay that we're in these separate spaces, but still together. And sometimes there's things in our lives, until we experience it, it's just theoretical. And Jesus is saying, I've been preparing you and preparing you, but soon you're going to really know. You're going to have, as a word, gnosko. You are going to have a deep, intimate knowledge of it. But right now, it's just in your head. So prepare yourself for it. He continues in verse 20 by saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. 
In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So he says this moment that's going from actual, from theoretical to actual is coming. And in that time, you will have deep sorrow. And you will be anguished and you will have tears. And and Jesus kind of knows what they're going to be going through. Just imagine what they would deal with when Jesus is killed and he's separated from them. Not only will they not have the presence of the Savior that they've experienced for the last three years, but they're going to start to doubt everything they'd ever heard. Did I just waste the last three years of my life? I mean, when Jesus is dead, this is what they were thinking. Did I waste that time? Was he who he said he was? Sometimes he said things I didn't understand. He said he was coming back, but I just saw him dead. And deep sorrow and anguish would overcome them. But he says, but that sorrow would turn to joy. Just like a woman who goes into childbirth, experiences pain and anguish because that time has come. But this new life will bring joy that nobody can steal from you. Now, I don't know about you. uh, I don't totally relate to that illustration, you know, childbirth. I didn't think it was that bad. You know, honestly. But... uh, But I think Jesus might know a little bit of what he's talking about here. And so he's saying it's painful and sorrowful, but this new life will bring so much more joy to you. We've been looking in the book of Jeremiah, one of the books that our elders are are reading this last week. And uh, I saw another verse in chapter 31 where they are are in uh, captivity. And he says that you're going to be there for 70 years. But then in chapter 31, he says this, when I free you. Then you shall, uh, then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. He knows, and this is talking to a group of people that has been enslaved uh, in captivity for 70 years. And yet he wants to speak life into them, saying, I know what you're enduring now, but joy is coming. Just hold on on. There may be pain in the night, the psalmist says, but joy comes in the morning. There's going to be a new season, a new day, a new time. And and he looks at it and, and he doesn't just know this theoretically. He knows it actually because he was about to endure the cross. He was about to go through the pain of the moment. He had been mocked and ridiculed already, although the worst was still to come. He would take our, our, our punishment and die But he knew that the sorrow and pain of the moment would turn into joy when it was completed. And so he's trying to say this to them. And he's always painted pictures uh, of of the promised land. And in the Old Testament, it was a physical promised land, a place that they would go, that uh, that they would flourish as long as they focused on God at the core of their lives and of their nation, that he would help them to succeed and overcome their enemies. And he calls us aliens and strangers. And in the book of Jeremiah, when they're captives, he's saying, this isn't your home. This isn't what you're destined for. I know it's hard here, but you have something new. And then the same language throughout the New Testament saying, I know that you have hardships. I know this world is difficult, but you're just sojourners here. You're just journeying through it. You're just traveling through the world for a time joy is coming. You have that to look forward to. You have that to focus on. Verse 24, he continues, until now you have asked nothing in my name. 
Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech, and the hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So here he's talking about, I've spoken sometimes in confusing manners, but I'm going to give you clarity. This is going to move from confusion to clarity. You ever notice that sometimes you just can't really understand something until you've lived through, and so he's preparing them for his death. He's preparing them again for his resurrection, but he knows it's not going to be clear until that day. And you look at this group that was going to run and they were going to scatter in a time that it didn't click, it didn't make sense to them until Jesus returned. And he said that you will, you will have anguish and sorrow talking about those three days that he was dead, but can you imagine the moment they saw Jesus alive again? After seeing him dead on the cross, And then seeing him alive, walking and talking and appearing among them and then disappearing again. It actually says that he appeared over the course of 40 different days. In Acts 1, 3 through 5, it says this. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they are on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised. The promise you heard from me, John baptized with water, and you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's coming soon. And so we have this time that Jesus was spending with them, and and he continued to teach them and share with them over this course of 40 days. And that 40 days we see throughout Scripture, uh, the the number 40 uh, with Noah and and with Moses in... in, uh, Uh, on the mount and and Jonah with Nineveh. This number 40 keeps arriving and Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. And and so this number 40 is significant that Jesus would be with them and teach them. And he's saying, right now it's still confusing. It's still kind of theoretical because you're not quite sure what to make of me. But when I raise again and when I talk to you, then it's going to be plain as day because you're going to see the risen Lord. You're going to see that I have conquered death. You're going to see that all the claims that I've been making for the past three years have a firm foundation and you have something to base the rest of your life on. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, even more so will he teach you and minister to you so that you can do the work that I've set out for you. But in this world, there's going to be startle, uh, startling things. There's going to be anguish. There's going to be turmoil. But you'll have these promises to rest on. Now, I have experienced some sorrow in my life. I was talking to Mike a little bit about it during the week. Uh, I mean, my father died when, when I was 20, and I've lost grandparents in the last number of years, although they lived great, long lives. And, and as I looked at this picture, I, you know, as far as deep, deep moments and, and times of sorrow, I was like, I've understood some pain. I mean, I've had a lot of hard stuff in my life, but not that I would describe as this. And as we looked at it... Uh, this verse just came alive as I, as I thought about some of the experiences of my wife, Trudy. And so I'm going to invite Trudy up 
to share probably a very, not probably, a, a difficult time that is a, a picture of this entire verse of what Jesus is talking about. And uh, I'm going to put this, does that look like a good spot? She's going to preach better than I could in this part. So here you go. So my name is Trudy. Um, I'm Aaron's wife. Yeah, thanks. Um, Jeremiah 29.11. Some of us have it embroidered on our pillows. Some of us have bumper stickers. Um, Some of us even have it on our Bible covers. Um, It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Um, Plans to give you hope and a future. Sure, that's really sweet and nice, isn't it? It's great on a bumper sticker. Uh, I never really read that verse. I mean, I saw the verse, but I never really read the verse. Um, For those of you that know me, uh, I love the theory of the Bible is the breath of life. It brings life and, and new breath and new hope to every circumstance as you read each verse. For that verse, it became alive to me 10 years ago. I'm the youngest of four children. I have a brother, Alan, who's nine years older than me, sister, Suzanne, who's eight years older than me, and a sister, Jeannie, who's six years older than me, and then I was the surprise child. Um, My mother helps me think of it not as a surprise, but she says, I prayed for you. Yeah, she probably was like, why? Um, (laughs) But my sisters and my brother became more like parents to me. Uh, My brother um, made sure that I was where I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be there. Um, If I was forgotten at school, um, my brother or my sister Suzanne would make sure that somebody would pick me up. Um, Suzanne taught me life. She taught me how to apply makeup. She taught me how to act like a lady. Um, She made sure that I ate plenty of fiber. Um, She also made sure that the words that I spoke were loving and kind and not in anger. Uh, Stuff that I need to remember. Uh, My sister Jeannie taught me how to be crazy. Um, Yeah, that's a crazy sister. We all have one. Uh, So years later... After all of these wonderful moments uh, that my sister gave me, she called me on the phone. We spoke regularly, uh, and this was a regular kind of phone call. And uh, she said, Trudy, I just got home from the doctor's. Um, are you sitting down? And I was like, well, I've got a toddler. I don't think I can. So, uh, so I sat down, and she said, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And she said, so I need, I need your strength. I said, okay. So we prayed. She said, I need you to pray for healing. So I said, I got this. I'll pray for healing. And she goes, I really need you to be strong. I haven't told anybody else yet. Um, You need to pray for me because I don't know how to. So I said, okay, I I can do this. We prayed on the phone together. And as we were praying, Jeremiah 29, 11 rang in my head. And I was like, oh, I don't like this verse now. Um, 
Because if you, if you know these plans, then why? And I got angry. I said, if you really want hope, then why do you give this? Why? But by the time we ended our prayer, I didn't tell Suzanne my thoughts. Um, I said, amen. Um, we hung up. A couple days later, she called back and she was like, yeah, has mom called you? And I said, oh, yeah, I just got off the phone. Um, so, yeah, that was fun. Uh, six months, fast forwarding, uh, she was actually given her clean bill of health. Several rounds of chemo, several rounds of radiation, and she was cancer-free. So we happened to be in Colorado for a visit, and she had her three-month kind of post-checkup. Uh, and so she asked me to go with her, and I said, sure, that would be awesome. Uh, we had planned a day, so we were going to go to the doctor's office, going to go shopping, because both of us love to shop, and then we are going to go have dinner. Well, at the doctor's office, the doctor came in, and Suzanne was just such a light. Uh, she immediately asked her doctor, how is your daughter doing? I've been praying. I know she's got a new boyfriend. How is that working? And they were just talking amongst themselves. And as she was examining my sister, that joy and, well, I should say, that happiness and that life that was inside of the doctor's eyes quickly faded. And I watched her eyes as they were looking at a rash on my sister's chest. So immediately she took a biopsy. Um, and she told my sister, without knowing the outcome, she said, I need you to prepare yourself. This doesn't look good. So my sister was like, okay. <laughs> All right, we got this. She looked at me and she said, be strong. So I said, I got this. So as we were leaving, I was driving. She grabbed my hand <laughs> as I was driving. Big no-no. So I had to pull over. And she goes, I need us to pray now. So we prayed. As I was praying, she said, Trudy, stop. It's not about physical healing anymore. Now, now it's about God's desire to use me to show his love, his peace, and his hope. Jeremiah 29.11 needs to be real now, Trudy. I was like, crap. Yes, I said that in church. So we prayed some more. Hope filled our heart. But also sadness. We ended up going back to Oregon, coming back to Oregon. Months passed. I talked to Suzanne daily. We prayed together daily about everything, about her kids, about her treatments. Um, she went through a double mastectomy during that time frame. She also had another surgery where she had to remove some of her bones in her chest cavity. She was a fighter. But then the phone call came. Trudy, it's time for you to come. Just like we planned. It's time. So I was like, I'm on it. I got this. Said goodbye to Aaron, my two kids. They were really young. And I went to Colorado. 
I went to appointments with her. I went to chemo with her. I fed her. I bathed her. I went to the appointment and informed the doctor that she couldn't breathe anymore. So we started her on oxygen, which was really funny because I knew nothing about oxygen. I knew you needed it to breathe, um, but I didn't know how to work the machines. So the doctor patiently walked through it with me. It was really funny because I was trying not to laugh because I knew it was serious, but I was like, okay, I know my sister is dying of cancer, so I really hope I don't blow her up before she dies of cancer. <laughs> um, after that, I took her to her last church service. That was awesome. I also took her to her final Women's Day out. We went and saw Beth Moore. We did have to leave a little bit early because I didn't plan right for the oxygen, but she didn't mind because we went and had Chipotle. Then it was time to take her to the doctor. My mother joined us for this appointment. I knew it wasn't going to be good. So we sat there. Again, the doctor came in. First thing out of Suzanne's mouth was, I've been praying for you. I feel that you're going to have a rough week. So I've been praying for you. How is your daughter doing? And after a nice conversation, she sat down and looked at Suzanne and said, I'm sorry. There's nothing more I can do. And Suzanne's response was, is there any other way that you can save me? Is there anything that we haven't thought of? And the doctor said, no, Suzanne, I'm really sorry. This hurts my heart to tell you I'm sorry. Then Suzanne looked at me. And she said, be strong, Trudy. I need your strength. So I took her hands, and I said, Suzanne, God is holding you, just like he always has been and always will. My mom, um, she raised her voice, stood up and said, no, I don't accept this. You're not the final answer, doctor. You don't know what you're talking about. And anger filled her voice in her heart, which is totally understandable. Her daughter is dying. Suzanne looked at me with pleading in her eyes. She had no strength to argue. So I stood up, got in between my mom, the doctor, and my sister as I was looking at Suzanne. And I said, you've got this. Let's go home. So as we walked in the door of her home, she was really weak. She's been getting weaker and weaker. She had sores all over her mouth and her nose. Um, she was in pain. And I think that day took a toll. Yeah, think. And she started to collapse. Suzanne has a few more inches on me and a few more pounds on me. But for some unknown reason, my arms went to catch her. 
and I didn't stumble. I held on to her. And I took her to a place where she could rest. And as I sat her down, I was like, how did I carry her? I mean, I carried her. And God said, it was me. I got her. So the next few nights, I ended up sleeping with her. She didn't want her husband to see her at the weakest time. She didn't want her kids coming in when she was having a meltdown. So we were able to have those quiet evenings in the middle of the night where we opened the Bible, we prayed, we sang hymns, and we talked about the future. She told me what she wanted. She told me what was going to happen. She talked to me about the wishes for her children, the things that she was going to miss, but it was going to be okay because God's got them. She talked about her celebration of life. I wrote things down. She talked about what she wanted for her husband. I listened. She also asked me to go ask my mom to come. So I went and asked my mom to come. My mom sat by her side one evening as Suzanne and I were singing hymns. It had been a long time since I had heard my mom sing. We sang It Is Well With My Soul. Oh, I hate that song. And Suzanne stopped. And she said, Mom, I forgive you. That was big. And then she asked my mom to go ahead and go home. Then she asked me to call my brother. That was a fun phone call. Then we sat together again. We were looking at a picture, beautiful picture. And she said, you know, Trudy, I've always wanted to go to that place. But now I just want to go home. Is it okay? I said, of course it's okay. She goes, your birthday's in two days. What if I die on your birthday? I don't, I don't want you to think of this as sorrow. And I said, Suzanne, what a blessing you would give me. What a blessing God would give me if he took you home on my birthday. You would be celebrating with the angels coming in the presence of God Almighty while I celebrated my earthly birthday. You're my mother figure. You're my strength. You're everything to me. That celebration would be a gift. So the next morning I ended up flying home. I hadn't seen my family in over a month. I wasn't home but 24 hours and we got the phone call at 2.30 something in the morning on September 26th which was my birthday within a couple hours we were on the road to go back to Colorado to fulfill everything that my sister asked me to do that she had prepared for me to do 
for her family, for her friends. At the viewing, I put makeup on her. Uh, it was really weird, not going to lie. I was applying makeup to my sister's shell. My other sister came in as I was applying the makeup. And she said, Trudy, how can you do that? How can you do that? And I said, how could I not? She taught me how to put makeup on. It's my turn to put makeup on her. And boy, she needed to look good because I know my sister. She has to have blush. I had to make sure her wig was in place. At the celebration of life, I wasn't listening to what was being said. Instead, I was looking at all of the faces. There were hundreds of people that lined the church. My sister didn't leave an earthly legacy. At that point, I realized my sister left a legacy that was spiritual, that surpassed all human understanding. She was human. She failed. Believe me, I won't put that woman on a soapbox because, you know, there were times that we were like, yeah, she's not perfect. But man, the gift that she gave me, a spiritual gift, was amazing. My heart was broken because my mother figure was taken from me. She left two young, beautiful kiddos. A husband that didn't know what to do without her. But looking at the faces in her celebration of life, there was such a joy inside of me. And a joy that I could not put human words to. And I began to smile. Tears were running down my face, but I smiled. And I said, that's Jeremiah 29, 11. I get it, God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you hope for a future. <laughs> Over two months, I was able to be in the presence of God on the mountaintop in deep sorrow, in deep unearthly joy. And then I came back home. My first church service back, I had somebody come up to me. I'm going to get real with you all, so just prepare yourself. I was singing, oh, I hate this song. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. And I didn't cry during that song. I cry now during that song. But I was smiling. And a godly woman came up to me and she said, I think you're in denial that you lost your sister. Yeah. God held my arms down because I really wanted to smack her. But see, 
I had peace in my soul. I had joy that was not of this world. She did not understand. Someday she will. But now she didn't. I went back to work. First thing out of one of my coworkers' mouth was, well, that's why we don't celebrate birthdays. Again, God held my hand down because I would have slapped her with the Holy Spirit. I went in the back and I prayed, God, they don't get it. They don't see that you had planned this. You told me, you told my sister that this was going to take place. You prepared me with words, with scripture, and you gave me hope. And you gave me instructions to follow through. And I did it. So praise God she is in heaven with you on my birthday. Praise God we can celebrate life and hope and peace. With all that being said, it totally reminds me when Aaron came to me and said, you know, I could talk about my dad, but I just don't get it. We just didn't have that bond. And I was like, all right, God, it's time. You see, through death of my sister, I found true life. I lived a godly life beforehand. I lived a peaceful life beforehand. I lived a joyful life beforehand. But God needed to show me that it wasn't the worldly things. We're on a spiritual plane now. So I pray that you would get that. Aaron's going to come up here and, and, and close out the sermon with, with some amazing insight from the Bible. And remember, we are not meant for this world. Joy doesn't come from this world because it's not circumstantial. That's only happiness. Let people see joy because it's spiritual and it's pure and it gives hope to the hopeless because that's what we're called to do. I'm not quite sure why I plan to come back up here. Um, I guess we'll just go to Jesus' words, verse 29. It says, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. And now we know that all things, and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you'll be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you have, may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See what I'm saying? That there's a place that it can be theoretical and then a place that it's actual. A place that it can be uh, confusing and then a time that brings clarity. There's a time that we have sorrow and yet God can bring joy. And Trudy understands that. And, and, and Jesus is saying, you guys live in the world. 
You're going to have tribulation in the world. You've all experienced sorrows and hurts, and some of you are in the middle of it right now. And God's saying that you won't be alone. He says, you're all going to leave me. Jesus is saying, you disciples, you're going to scatter, and you're going to think that I'm alone, but I'm not because the Father is with me. And, And you may feel alone. You may feel like nobody can understand your sorrow, the hard thing that you're going through. But the Father is with you. The Spirit wants to connect you to him. Maybe even this thought of Jesus is still theoretical to you. You've heard the information that he loves you, that he died for you, that he wants to be eternally connected to you. But it hasn't yet become actual. And that doesn't have to be the case. Today, you can make that decision and you could, could come into a relationship with him knowing that he wants to take your sorrow, that he wants to take your hardship. I read a verse this morning uh, that we'll see if I can get through. It's in Revelation. It's just the Bible reading of the day. It's uh, popped up on my app. I've got an app for that. So it's not on the screen, but, uh, but close your eyes. as John, the same guy that wrote this letter uh, that we're reading, this gospel. He was imprisoned on Patmos, and, and he had this revelation. Close your eyes and picture it. And again, Kevin, you got your glasses? Let's get through this. Okay. Uh, he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven gold lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe with golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in the furnace, and his voice was like uh, the roaring of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus, in this verse at the end of John, says, I have overcome the world. And that's a picture of the one who holds the keys to death and sorrow because he loves you. And he wants you to experience his joy. We're going to have a time of communion, and uh, the band's going to come up and sing And during this time, if you have a relationship with him, go ahead and and take the cracker. Ushers, you can go to your spots. Take the cracker. It it represents his body, this picture of him being broken, the thing he was preparing his disciples for. The the cup of juice represents his blood that was shed for you. And he wants us to remember him, that he loved you so much that he endured this, that he understands your sorrow, he understands tribulation and trouble in this world, but he wants to bring you joy. And if you haven't, if this has still been theoretical for you, and today you want to make a choice, 
to make it actual, to enter a relationship with him. I, I'd love to, Mike would love to, some of our elders would love to sit and talk with you and pray with you. Come up, just walk forward. We'd love to spend some time with you. Jesus wants to enter you into his kingdom and, and, and welcome you in to that same joy, to that same relationship that he paid such a high price for. Let's pray.